Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What is up, y'all? We are uh, we're back with another episode, but this one I need to start off with a few a few prefaces or a few apologies. First of all, it's like five in the morning here. My uh, my life has been a little bit chaotic lately, and I did not prioritize making a time to set up with Martin this week to record, and I have a trade show all weekend and a bunch of other crap that went on all week, so I got up this morning, and instead of going to the gym, I am, uh, I'm recording this episode, and it, sh- it should be good. It, it's an awesome episode. It's an awesome book we're going to cover. But I, I feel awful because, first of all, it's four in the, five in the morning. And second of all, uh, I, really, I really like doing these with Martin. Martin brings a very balanced approach and kind of levels out my erraticness. And also that, uh, that deep, slow DJ voice keeps all, the, uh, keeps all the panties loose for all the ladies that are listening. So I apologize. Um, I'm rocking this one by myself. And then... The second preface is when I do these episodes 
where I kind of summarize the hot points in in books, I do them for two reasons, and neither of them are to take revenue out of the author's pocket. Um, the The first reason is really to to highlight and get people that would purchase the book excited and put enough info in front of them that they are interested in purchasing the book, interested in reading the book, interested in keeping the book in their repertoire to look back to. I, I try not to ever do these on books where I'm just like, eh, it's an average book. But the second and more important reason is because I know a lot of you guys. A lot of you listeners I know would never jump on to a book, even if I text you or called you and said, hey, you should listen to this book or you should read this book. It, it, I get it. It's just not going to happen. There's a really large portion of people that just aren't going to dig into into a nonfiction book and even more people that aren't going to dig into any books at all. So I do these to try to get the ideas and the inspiration and the motivation that I get from these books and spread that out to you guys as much as I can. Now realize that, first of all, a lot of these books are 8, 10, 12, 15 hours long if you were to do the audiobook version. And, you know, if you're going to read them, depending on how long, how slow of a, or fast of a reader you are, it would take you that long. Now, I'm going to cover them in, you know, one one-hour episode or two one-hour episodes. So it's going to be a lot of hot high spotting. You know, there's going to be a lot of Reader's Digest version of a lot of these stories. And I do it so that hopefully I get the premise of the information across. Hopefully I get the actionable knowledge so that at least, let's say there's a hundred beautiful nuggets in one of these books that you could really get inspired by, really motivate you, really could teach you something. If I do my job right, maybe 20 or 30 of those come across, which if you're one of those people that would never read these books, never pick them up, never buy them, never listen to them, then you're 20 or 30 nuggets of beautiful truth better. And if you are somebody that does audiobooks, then those 20 or 30 beautiful nuggets inspire you to go out and purchase this book. And with that, you are able to get the full hundred nuggets or at least read and think about the full hundred nuggets. If, if even if 20 to 50 actually stick now, this week's book is from Stephen Magnus or Steve Magnus. And, and, uh, Stephen Magnus is a kind of, world-renowned expert on performance and Steve was a runner he coached a bunch of runners and he co-authored the passion paradox and authored the the uh the science of running and the book is do hard things and the idea of the book do hard things is that we have basically been thinking about the idea of being tough in a humanistic standpoint wrong for entirely too long. We have this old school idea or this old school opinion of what toughness is. And that old school idea is kind of, uh, to, to sum it up, we have this idea of kind of sheer brute willpower kind of 
bulldozing through anything, overcoming obstacles with a combination of perseverance, discipline, and stoicism. And while that is part of toughness, Steve writes this book and comes from the angle of that type of toughness is really only a shallow surface level, um, a surface level toughness. And that toughness, if you're looking at it the way that we've looked at it for years and years and years, whether it be because of cultural conditioning or the way that we've been coached throughout our life, um, that idea of toughness, really, if we use it, if you use it in a in a military idea, that's really only taking the idea of the drill sergeant and the drill sergeant being the the toughness maker. But what that idea of toughness completely ignores is the whole other aspect of what true toughness is, and that is the the support and the intelligence and the self-confidence and a lot of other stuff that Steve digs into in this book. So he starts he starts the book opening off talking about kind of giving us a lot of examples of what the old school idea of toughness is. And he starts off talking about Bobby Knight. And a lot of you guys probably remember Bobby Knight, but Bobby Knight was a basketball coach that was just an absolute terror. Bobby Knight was known for some of his ridiculous antics like throwing chairs, ripping players into their seats by their jerseys. In 1979, he was convicted for hitting a policeman before the Pan America games. He would scream obscenities at his players. He made some of his assistant coaches tape pictures of women's genitalia on lockers of players that he thought were being pussies. Um, He was fined $10,000 by the NCAA after a table incident. It just... Basically, he's just the the screaming bull in a china shop to try to get his guys to perform. And that was his idea of making them tough. What he wanted to do is he wanted to use his, you know, ridiculous over-the-top antics to try to make his players extremely tough. And kind of the the, the weird thing that happens from from coaches like that is you get a certain amount of people that you are able to to motivate. You get a certain amount of people that you drive to be better. But there is no way of knowing whether those, you know, let's say handful of people that you are able to coach and inspire and motivate would be any better or worse without your ridiculous antics. And what it does do and what we do know is you leave a whole lot of people who are really just waiting for someone to develop them or help them develop themselves. It leaves them on the sidelines. And even on even on a lot of Bobby Knight's teams and a lot of these other tough coaches, you've got a handful of players that really, they thrive, but you've got a majority of the rest of the team or at least a good chunk of the rest of the team that really just, just falls behind and is discouraged from trying and discouraged from learning and discouraged from from basically becoming better. And this idea of this, you know, bullying people into being tough has gone into child athletics. I mean, I remember when we were learning 
you know, even in a even in an early age on the hockey rink, this was kind of what our conditioning was. It was this driving, bullying push to condition yourselves. Well, if any of these coaches would have realized the, the the science, that's that's not the best way to build cardiovascular conditioning or strength. And yes, you can you can push kids hard enough to make them puke. You can. You can push adults hard enough to make them puke. You can push kids hard enough to make them want to quit. And some of them will realize that they have more in the tank than they ever had before. But when you think about it from that angle, you are comparing that way of coaching to no coaching. You're completely ignoring that there's a whole other way to do things. And somehow that idea of toughness has, has kind of moved into a lot of other aspects of our life. There's a lot of managers that manage like that. There's parents that parent like that. And when we start to think about parenting, we get back into this, this, um, I guess this, this chart or this, um, scale of parenting that, uh, Diane Baumrind, which we talked about her in earlier episodes, at least one or two. And there's this cross scale of parenting. Basically, if you I realize that 99 percent of you are listening to this. So if you think of a, if you think of a piece of paper split into four equal sections, so one line through the middle vertical and one line through the middle horizontal, and that gives you four quadrants, one left, one upper oh sorry one upper left one upper right one lower left one lower right and if the arrow going up on this um scale is going more towards uh support and on the bottom it's going more towards less support and on the arrow on the left is going more towards lower uh demandingness or lower control and the arrow on the right is going towards um, higher demandingness or higher control. So then on the upper right quadrant, you have a group of parents or really this this works as far as coaching, this works as far as, as leadership. Um, on the right is where you want to be. And that is very high in responsiveness and support, but also very high in control and demandiveness. Eh, not necessarily control, but demandingness. And these are the parents. We're going to use this in parenting because that's how she designed this whole scale. And so these are the parents who listen and help and inspire and motivate, but they also hold the kids very accountable for their actions. They hold them to high levels of, um, it, it, they call it demandingness, but really it's high levels of of performance and um i guess really it's just you know being being responsible for your actions being responsible for what happened so if you failed we're going to talk about it we're going to work harder to be better next time what does failure look like what do i expect out of you from a coaching standpoint what do i expect out of you from a parenting standpoint and this is where we get into this is called the authoritative and the authoritative is the, is the, kind of the best form of parenting, coaching, inspiring leadership, um, boss, whatever. On the bottom side of that, you have that extremely high demandingness, but you have low warmth and low support. 
And that's the authoritarian. That's the do it this way because I said so. Uh, do it because I need it done. Don't ask me why, just do it. And the problem there is you get kids that are performing, but they're not performing because they want to perform. This is the Bobby Knight style, the authoritarian. You get the, you get the kids that they're really just doing what they're doing just because they're either scared or they don't want to disappoint you. But the problem there is, is when you're out of the picture, they never have the drive to succeed unless there's something else there that is that is pushing them. That's bullshit. And then on the upper left, you have um, high in support, but low in demandingness. So what you have there is you have the permissive parents. These are the best friend parents. These are the people that just want to be on your side, but they never actually hold you to any high level of um, drive. They never hold you to any high level of accomplishment. They don't really even hold you accountable for your own actions. And this is where this is where this kind of quadrant thing ended. There was only three when she first designed this in the 1960s. But then in the 80s, they added another style, which we now see a lot of today, which is low support and low demandiveness. And we call that the uninvolved parent. And we, God knows, we all know a lot of those parents, the parents that are kind of like, yeah, um, I'm not going to help you do anything. I'm not going to hold you accountable, but I also don't care. Um, and that's kind of the biggest, I guess that would be the biggest downfall of them all, at least on the upper left-hand side, you may not be pushing them to become anything, but you're also at least loving them. Um, but this is the, this is Diane Baumrein's, um, kind of parenting style, the authoritarian, which is the shit, you know, Bobby Knight, the authoritative, which we would consider like a Pete Carroll if we're using the coaching references, um, the permissive, which is just the easygoing, you know, run right over them parent. And then the uninvolved, which is, you know, a lot of what we see, what we see today. So with, with, with this book, he is kind of starts to break down what happens with, um, that authoritative and authoritarian and the comparison between the, uh, between the two ideas. And he, he, he really uses a lot of the time in the book to kind of drill into that authoritarian Bobby Knight style coaching and parenting and why that is such a failure to our youth and such a failure to basically our entire population by keeping that as our original idea of toughness. And he breaks into a story of a youth athlete that I think a lot of you have probably heard of. I've seen some of the videos and this kid is running wind sprints and the coaches are screaming at him and he, he's barely able to, to finish the sprints. I mean, he's on the shoulders of two of his um, two of his teammates and the coaches are screaming obscenities at him to get him to keep running. And this kid ends up dying uh, a few hours later of heat exhaustion. And this is that old calloused idea of toughness, kind of the feeling less just bulldozing through. And, and the idea there is trying to, you know, trying to weed out weakness. But with that, all we're doing is, is picking the cream that comes to the top. We're not actually developing any, true skill, developing any true toughness or anything like that. And we see things because of that, like, you know, youth, youth sports deaths, deaths are up. And, and is that because of this? Well, there's no really way of, you know, saying it's correlated, but if you look at what's causing it, then, then it's pretty, pretty clear to see why. 
And then he breaks into, because he is a science writer, he breaks into a lot of the science behind a lot of this stuff and what a lot of the research studies that he dug into show. And research shows that that authoritarian style of parenting leads to much lower independence because these kids aren't actually doing anything for themselves. They are doing it because they're scared to let you down. It leads to more aggressive behavior. It leads to a higher likelihood of substance abuse and risky behavior. It really does lead to lower grit, more burnout, and the fear of failure. And even even when it comes to discipline, the thing that you would think that this would create the most of, the demanding style has been linked to much higher rate of child misbehavior. Um, even the research into the Israeli, Israeli military shows that children who grew up in an author, authoritarian environment adapted and coped with the challenge of military life much worse than their peers who grew up in a nurturing environment. It creates the appearance of discipline because they're scared to let you down, but it doesn't actually create any real discipline. It doesn't teach discipline. Um, when, when coaches and parents use punishments to make you work harder and listen better, um, it, what it really does is it, it makes you do it because you don't want to be punished, not because you want to actually do it to get better. So I'm running this last wind sprint because I don't want to get yelled at anymore, not because I want to actually improve my cardiovascular fitness so that I'm able to, you know, play better. And Steve compares this to um, kind of the model of, of teaching a kid to swim by throwing him in the deep end of the pool like that'll work for a few kids like a few kids you toss them in the deep end they're going to kick and they're going to they're going to figure out how to swim the problem is, is the majority are going to drown and really the goal of this book is to show us how to teach the basics and um if we're talking about improving ourselves how to learn the basics before we ever end up in the deep end where we are you know life or death and to teach real toughness, whereas fake toughness is that appearance um, of toughness without substance. Real toughness is the ability to experience adversity, identify the adversity, and learning to create that space between adversity and action to really break down what the correct action in the scenario is that that's what that's what Steve's definition of true toughness is and that's where it comes to to you know like I said to keep the the coaching um, example that's where we come to a coach like like Pete Carroll and a Pete Carroll style coaching is I mean you know Pete Carroll supports yoga if they're in a meeting and it starts to get heated he switched to playing a game of ring toss um Reports from players say that he's never negative and he always finds a way to turn a mistake into a positive learning experience. And for every Bobby Knight that is successful, there's multiple Pete Carrolls that are successful. And the thing with a Pete Carroll is with a Pete Carroll, you can take a team of decent athletes and you can develop them into something that is extremely impressive. Whereas a a Bobby Knight style, you know, fake toughness. Um, bravado style you really are just weeding out the trash and by that trash is a dog shit way of saying it you're weeding out the people who have not been developed yet and only using the people that are developed and the reality there is is we have an entire population of people that have not been developed that need the Pete Carroll style which is where Steve came from with this book and 
he breaks into a 2008 study from Eastern Washington where researchers set out to kind of explore the relationship between leadership style and the development of true toughness. He studied 200 different basketball players and coaches, and the conclusion from this study is the keys to developing mental toughness do not lie in the autocratic, authoritarian, oppressive style. The keys to developing true mental toughness seem to lie, paradoxically, in the coach's ability to produce an environment that emphasizes trust, inclusion, humility, and service. It, it kind of breaks down that that real toughness is is teaching, whereas the fake enough toughness is oppressive, or fake toughness is just unintelligently bulldozing through any problem, whereas real toughness is learning, like I said, creating that space and navigating obstacles. Now, the difference between bulldozing and navigating is navigating means that when you create that space before the obstacle, sometimes you're going to bulldoze through, but sometimes you're going to go around, or sometimes really you're just going to hold steady and wait for that situation to pass. This is this is the intelligence part. And to get to that military example that we used about the drill sergeant earlier, this is the this is everything else about that military development. This is the support after the drill sergeant or in unison with the drill sergeant. This is teaching these kids exactly how to do things before they're ever put in a situation where they have to know how to do them, right? Think about that. If you took a, take a kid um, fresh out of basic training, right? And you throw them into a theater of war. Um, they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. You know, maybe they've played Call of Duty. Maybe they have some idea of how to shoot some guns, but they don't really know what they're doing. This is all of the stuff that teaches the knowledge and the skill set to then be able to perform in that theater of war. And that's the part that we're completely ignoring with this old school idea of, you know, sheer mental toughness. And Steve breaks it down into four pillars of true toughness, which goes perfectly uh, in line with this podcast. Uh, Pillar one is ditch the facade and embrace reality. Pillar two is listen to your body. Pillar three is respond instead of react. And pillar four is transcend discomfort. In, uh, in 2014, there was an external corporation that was um, tasked with evaluating what styles of teaching um, or what types of teaching was best preparing military soldiers. I believe it was Air Force soldiers that this study was done on. But what styles of, of teaching and, and you know, leading uh, best prepared these soldiers to perform under stressful conditions? They evaluated a dozen different, over a dozen different uh, methods that they were using. And two methods really, really stood out. And it really only comes down to one method, but they they labeled it as two. And one and most first and most important is emphasizing core skills that aid in performance. These core skills included confidence, goal setting, attention control, arousal control, imagery, self-talk, compartmentalization, and mental skills foundation. So just to break you know, to break those down, really just a, a quick definition, I guess, is 
Um, confidence would be the sureness in your competence, right? We talk about that all the time. Competence makes confidence or your confidence comes from your competence. Um, your goal setting is your ability to uh, push towards something better, just a little bit out of your current you know, reach and strive to improve. Attention control is being able to keep your attention on the task at hand or keep your attention on the goal at hand. Arousal control would be being able to stay calm in arousing situations. Imagery is kind of the imagination of where we're going, even though we're right here. The self-talk would be the ability to keep yourself um, motivated and inspired with that with that self-talk. I can do this. I know what I'm doing. Okay, where do I break this down? It's kind of that teaching that self-talk, which is interesting that that was even in there. Um, compartmentalization that is able to that one is really another way of attention control, but it's keeping the shit that you need to control your mind on at the forefront of your mind and everything else goes in a box and gets locked up. You know, if you think about the, the soldier or the CEO that is having, you know, a rough time at home or their wife is unhappy or they have a, you know, a sick child or something like that. And they're still able to perform at their job. That would be compartmentalization. And then, Mental skills foundation and these mental skills are, are, you know, just mental skills foundation is all of the things that build up your, your mental strength and your mental ability. And this is number one, but really this is the main thing because number two that they found was just ensuring that these skills that we already labeled are mastered before exposure to stressful conditions. And that's what Martin always talks about when he talks about the idea of um, you fall back on your level of training. And this is making sure that all these things are trained and they are basically ingrained and you don't have to think about them. They are just the way that your brain works before you are ever exposed to stressful conditions. So really, they identified that those first group of core skills are the most important. Um, research has really proved that stress inoculation doesn't work if the skills to navigate the stress are not learned prior, right? You are not likely to learn to swim if you are learning in the deep end of the pool where you can't touch. You're not likely to learn how to um, communicate or move in a battle situation if you're dropped right into even a fake battle situation that is, you know, designed to have the stresses of battle. You're not going to learn. Oh, you think about it in a, in a gym example, right? Let's say that your body right now can max out a bench press at, you know, let's say 225. Let's say that's your max bench press. Are you going to learn the proper way to bench press if you don't know it already? If I put you onto a bar, I guess if you don't know how to bench press, your max bench press is probably not 225, but fuck it, stupid example. But if I put you under 225 pounds and that's your one rep max, you are not going to improve the skills of the proper ways to bench press if I put you under that bar immediately. If I put your uh, just a bar or even just a piece of PVC pipe in your hand and we learn about, you know, bending the PVC pipe to put force in the right places to activate your lats and we learn about the, the, the 
direction of movement or the path of movement where we want that bar to come down, where we want it to stop, how we're going to press up in the different angles. That Those are the things that we need to learn before we're ever put under a stressful situation. Even, you know, even the idea of, of something like running. If I tell you to go run a, a mile and a mile would be the most that you've ran or two miles, three miles is the most that you've ran, we're not going to be able to work on your footsteps, how your feet hit the ground, how you are separating your weight or, or distributing your weight to get the next the next stride. You're not going to be able to work on any of this stuff if I'm like, hey, you know, we need to go run a mile. We need to go run three miles, five miles, ten miles, whatever, whatever that stressful situation would be to you. Um, and then we start to break down the the mentality because the idea of this old school tough is just that you buckle in and you grind through and you bulldoze through. But the reality is that the mo- the top performers in the moment are constantly questioning, constantly thinking, constantly improving, adapting. Even even things like like running a marathon. When they recorded the, you know, a bunch of marathon runners, they aren't like dialed in and just running without any thoughts. They're constantly thinking and they were recording what they were thinking while they were running because this was an interesting study that they did. And they're they're constantly thinking, oh, why am I doing this? I should quit. Should I run over here? Oh, what's that? What's that pain over here? They're constantly processing information and then constantly reminding themselves that they can do it because the the internal um, thought does come to, well, I should quit because why do we have that quit response? Well, we have that quit response because it's natural. That quit response that everyone has is your body's way of maintaining homeostasis. It's your body's way of saying we're out of energy. It's your body's way of saying we don't have the, you know, if we keep going, it's go, there's going to be a negative outcome. And sometimes you need to say, shut up body. Cause, because this is a competition or I am going to go 10% further than I think I can go. And then I'm going to heal from that pain and I'm going to get better. But to try to ignore that without realizing it's there is kind of like putting that issue in your relationship in the back of your mind and just ignoring it until it becomes such a problem that you can't handle it anymore. And if we are just, if we just pull that idea and we realize that everyone deals with that, it makes that keeping going a lot better. And that's where we get into how to actually build this true toughness or this, this new idea of toughness. And this is where we get into Steve's, uh, Pillars. And like I said, pillar one is ditch the facade, face reality. How do we do that? How do we ditch the facade and face reality? Well, we learn to accurately appraise the situation. And what does that mean? Basically, accurately appraising the situation is being able to create enough space 
when we are put in, in, in a challenging spot, right? Whether it be that last wind sprint or a true game situation or, you know, a, a highly charged sales pitch or whatever that comes to as far as in your life, it gives enough space where we're able to look at the situation and start to accurately appraise the reality of the situation. What is really needed here? What is actually going on? Am I am I selling to someone who doesn't want my product or am I selling to someone who have is having a bad day? And I need to, once I appraise what the challenge is that I'm looking to overcome, then I can actually start to implement ways to overcome that adversity, ways to get through that adversity. And that's what it means to be able to accurately appraise uh, the situation. We need to learn to see adversity as a challenge, not a threat. Um, a lot of things that we come in contact in a day have multiple ways of looking at them, right? If I'm having to deal with a difficult customer, is is that a threat or is that annoying? Or is it just another another chance to develop um, my ability to overcome objections? Um, think about this as a as an, a, a person jumping out of a plane, right? We have two different people that are jumping out of a plane. We have a veteran skydiver. So this person has jumped out of, you know, a hundred different planes and, and realizes what is happening versus a novice. The novice is unable to embrace reality because they have so many threat hormones that are excreted and running through their blood that really, if you think about it, and a lot of you have probably not jumped out of a plane, but think about you are on an ascent, you know, flying up, getting ready to jump out of a plane. What's going through your mind? It's fear. It's worry. It's all of these stressful hormones. Whereas the veteran is able to embrace reality and by embracing reality, because they know what this is, they know they've been here before, they know exactly what's going to happen. We're going to get up to the certain level, we are going to double check all of our stuff, we're going to jump out of the plane, we're going to enjoy the drop, and then we're going to land and we're going to be safe, right? <clears throat> because they know that, they're able to embrace the reality of the situation, their hormones are completely different, and they are not super scared. They're not worried. There's not a bunch of cortisol running through their body. They're more jacked. They're excited. They're like pumped because they know the experience that is coming. And that is the difference between the embracing reality versus no knowledge of reality. And our response in these situations, it's it's not magic. It's not this, you know, this overall genie behind the curtain. It really is neurochemicals and nervous system activity. You know, it's a combination of adrenaline, which prepares us for the moment, right? This adrenaline gets your gets your muscles going and gets your body going and gets you pumped up. It's some oxytocin, which oxytocin is is the group effort hormone. It's the it's the hormone that connects a group and keeps them working together. It's 
some cortisol, which cortisol in a small amount or in a reasonable amount liberates stored energy. It tells your body to turn off um, digestive system stuff so that there's more energy available for fight or flight. Um, it's basically a soup or a stew of these chemicals. And the the different amounts of these chemicals that you have in a certain situation depends on how you feel going into that situation. Well, if it's just a group of chemicals that make you feel a certain way going into a situation, how do we manipulate that um, that group of chemicals? Well, Steve does a really good job in this book of comparing our bodies to like a 911 call center. And a 911 call center gets the call from the person. And that is that's that is the, you know, in this example, it is the realization of the situation you're in. Okay. So you are in a situation that elevates your hormones, whatever that means. It, that situation could be good, it could be bad, but it's stressful. It is an adverse situation. Now, the 911 call center is is our body and it has to decide whether in that situation we are going to call firefighters, we're going to send an ambulance, we're going to send a social worker. Our center needs to decide what the best way to deal with this current stressful situation is. And basically, that space that we talked about creating to navigate that stressful situation, that is our assessment of the situation. And the more accurately we assess assess that situation, the more intelligent our body is or our 911 call center is on how to process it. So if we learn the skills before we're put in the stressful situation, just like we talked about a little bit ago, then when we're in the stressful situation, we are able to accurately assess what that situation is. And upon accurately assessing what the situation really is, then our call center is able to manipulate our soup of hormones so that we have the correct amount of adrenaline available. We are excreting the correct amount of oxytocin, the correct amount of um, cortisol, all of these hormones that make up our mental reaction, they are dosed properly versus if you are not able to accurately assess the situation and you're going into a situation that calls for group effort and adrenaline, but your body is so fucking stressed that it's excreting a ton of, of cortisol, this is what's going to cause a misunderstanding of the situation and an improper physical reaction and mental reaction to actually overcome the situation. So we need to train the body to properly access, access um, assess the situation. When we're accurately assessing, we are we are seeing a situation for what it is. Because if our body um, or our brain assesses a stressful situation and it realistically assesses that it could cause physical or psychological harm, the response is to defend and protect. We take fewer risks. We play not to lose instead of playing to win. Whereas... If we are accurately assessing a situation and there's a more of an opportunity for growth or gain, 
and it's something difficult, but we can handle it. You know, it's, it's right out of our comfort zone. It is within reason. Um, we're going to experience a challenge response. We're going to play to win. We're going to try to accomplish the goal or overcome the adverse situation. When we embrace reality and accurately assess the demand and the appraisal of our abilities, we are able to be intelligently tough. We are able to set appropriate goals, which everything has shown that appropriate goals, um, are just as important as, I guess, setting goals, period. If you set a goal that is that is too outrageous, then you're much more likely to just give up. Um, we're able to set authentic goals, which an authentic goal is a goal that is is true to your interest. Think about um, think about if you're setting a goal. If this is a, this is a good example. If you're setting a goal to lift more weights. But you really don't care to be stronger or more muscular, then how likely is it that you're going to stick to that goal versus the same exact goal set by someone who really does want to be stronger and truly wants to be more muscular? They are going to stick to that goal a lot better. That's an authentic goal. That goal is authentic to that person. Um, We're going to be able to define judgments and and expectations. We're going to be able to think about the process uh, versus the outcome, which we've talked about on this podcast a million times. If we focus on the input instead of just thinking about the output, then we are able to do the proper things because a lot of reality is is that you know we can only we can only what is the the uh, the AA thing learn to change what we can change or focus on what we can change and not the stuff we can't change and the ability to know the difference between the two or some shit like that. That wasn't exactly right. But, um, when we are intelligently, uh, tough, we are able to course correct for stress, right? Stress and fatigue causes us to basically over analyze Sorry, um, under, over, sorry, blah, blah, blah. stress and fatigue causes us to underestimate our abilities. There we go. That's what I was trying to get out. Wow. Big old morning bag of tea in my mouth. Um, that means that when we are, when we're stressed, we are not able to properly think about what we can accomplish so we are not going to take on the right amount of challenge and we're also priming our mind. So when we're intelligently tough, we are properly priming our mind and looking for the positivity and the opportunity in a situation versus if we are not intelligently tough, if we are not developing this intelligent toughness, um, what stress does is in, in, he breaks into a ton of different studies that prove this and you'll have to get into that if you're going to get into the book. Otherwise, um, I didn't actually copy down any of the studies, but there was, there was a few different ones that showed that if we are not prepared to deal with stress, stress automatically shifts us to a negative bias. Now, what that means is we are automatically going to go to a negative mentality 
um, to deal with the stress than being positive and looking for the opportunity in an adverse situation. Um, this, this true strength or this true confidence, it's quiet versus insecurity that is, that is loud. Um, the, the whole, I guess, fake it till you make it idea is, is something that he brings up in this part of the book. And that is, you know, we've all heard the idea of fake it till you make it, but the problem with faking it till you make it is when you actually look at the science of the fake it till you make it mentality and fake it till you make it is kind of it. That's that false confidence, right? You're just, you're pretending to be confident. Um, but when, when surveyed students coming out of college for a bunch of different traits, high external confidence, which this is the fake it till you make it mentality. Um, it really only showed marginally better success over time over people with zero confidence at all. So we're taking fake it till you make it versus someone who has no confidence in themselves. Okay. Well, yeah, clearly the fake it till you make it will perform a little bit better throughout, you know, certain, certain situations are going to be a little bit better at life than the, than the person with zero confidence in themselves. The problem here is when you compare it to any other sort of internal true confidence, it pales in comparison. The fake it till you make it does not perform anywhere up to the type of people that have true confidence. And where does confidence come from? Say it with me, everybody. Confidence comes from competence. Let's go. It's earned cannot be easily taken. When you're competent in your actions, when you know that you have the ability to do something, somebody can't just tell you, you suck. You can't do that. Fucking, I know I can do it. I've done it before. I've dealt with these situations. I have put myself in hard situations and shown myself that I can perform. So you can say whatever the fuck you want, but realistically, I know what I can do. And why do we have this idea of fake it till you make it? Well, an interesting story that Steve points out, which I've never heard this story before, but it makes perfect sense, is I believe 70s, 80s-ish, there was a task force that was developed in the United States government um, to help children because the performance of children were falling behind where we should have been with the amount of money that we were spending on education and a lot of this other stuff. So they put, they put forward this task force. How do we help kids become more successful overall, more intelligent, more successful in work, more successful in life? We need to create more successful advanced kids because these kids are going to then become the adults that make up our country. Okay. Well, there was this dipshit from California. I didn't get his name, but he, of course, he was from California. He was put at the head of this task force. Well, the weird thing is this guy had recently went through self-esteem therapy and became an evangelist for self-esteem. So he put together this task force with one scientist on it. They completely ignored the scientist that they brought onto the task force, and he basically, you know, he knew because he was fucking falsely confident in himself, he knew that his way was the best way and put forward all of these, I guess, enacted all of these ideas and was on all these talk shows and put forward all these ideas. I mean, this guy was on Oprah and all this other shit, like the type of stuff where parents were getting all this information from this guy and... This is what really birthed that false self-esteem 
movement. This is where all those self-esteem posters and the idea of building self-esteem in schools and all of that came out of this one task force with this one damaged individual who had low self-esteem and went through self-esteem therapy and then decided that because he had false self-esteem, instead of looking at the science and listening to the person on his task force who was the one actual scientist, he knew that teaching kids self-esteem, not competence, but just self-esteem without competence, right? That false sense of self-confidence. He knew that this was the way to improve the, the youth of America. And that extrapolated into this mess of false confidence and this mess of, of everything that we have starting in the fucking 80s. And I remember a lot of this stuff. I remember these ideas of confidence in school. I remember the posters on the wall. And I remember the the talk of just trying your hardest and just doing your best. And that's great, except for it doesn't actually build the true toughness. And that's what we're going to get into in the next episode is all of these different ways to elevate your ground floor, to build the confidence in the in, in your competence or to build your competence so that your confidence is naturally elevated. And that is going to be next week's episode um, might be just me again as I have a, you know, one more really shitty week ahead of me, or hopefully I can get this one down with Martin. And I really want to thank you guys for, for listening this week. I hope, I hope that this at least opened up the idea of this book and open and opened up your mindset to kind of that, that true toughness. And, um, I'm sorry that, that Martin wasn't here this week. That was completely my my false step or my misstep in setting my priorities and making sure that I, that I set time aside, um, for this podcast. And I really do appreciate all of you guys, um, the reaching out, whether it be on Instagram or the few of you that do have my cell phone texting me, um, or the email, you know, I, I get an email from a few of the guys, you know, it's Paul at, urbnsvg.com urbnsvg.com um i just appreciate hearing what you guys think you know we we do this podcast to put ideas out in the world and to elevate the overall um i guess energy amongst the listeners but Without you guys, without the listeners, that overall energy is just me talking into the wind and Martin talking into the wind. And we need you guys. And the reality is, is we need, you know, 10x what we have for listeners right now. We need 100x what we have for listeners right now for the amount of time that we're investing into this to actually make true changes in the world. Um, all I can do is put the information out there. You guys got to you guys got to tell people about it. You guys got to get it in front of other people and I need to do a much better job at um cutting clips and at least putting them out there so that you have things to share because there's there's one thing to say, "Hey, you should listen to this podcast." versus another thing is actually having clips to send like listen to this. And when you hear the type of information that we're putting out, you are able to to really get people um interested. So Thank you guys. I hope you have an awesome fucking week. And remember, your confidence is coming from your competence. And we're going to talk about how to build all that up next week. Peace. Peace.